What is going on, everybody? I am Greg Hellback, and my co-host, Michael Pinter, and I are bringing you another episode of the New York Real Estate Investing Show. This show is all about how to be successful in New York State, one of the best places and one of the most difficult places to do business in. And each and every week, Michael and I are going to bring awesome content to everybody who wants to learn how to do this business successfully in New York. Between the both of us, we have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals. We've made millions of dollars and we've also made a ton of mistakes. So if you want to try your best to avoid those mistakes, definitely take a listen to this podcast. Every single week, we are going to provide actionable tactical steps on how you can be successful investing in the Empire State of New York. Stay tuned and welcome to the show. Warner Kiroga, welcome to the show, man. I'm uh, excited to interview a fellow New Yorker on uh, what it takes to be successful. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Cool, well, we just kind of connected not too long ago. I, we have a lot of the same friends. Uh, Michael Pinter was talking about you and Damon and Mike, the flipping accountant. And I'm like, I got to connect with this guy. I've seen your website, you know, uh, all over New York, but I just didn't really put a face to a name. You got mm -hmm. prestige property down in Long Island. So I'm, I'm excited to really talk about how you built your business so far as a young guy. You're the same age as me. So you're you're a spring chicken, as they say. So how did you get started in real estate? Like, cause you're, you're super young and you're doing this at a high level and probably the toughest market in the country. Yeah. So I started out by just, um, kind of leveling myself up to this point, um, just over time in, in school, I was that kid that would sell candy all the time. I would find ways to make money. I'd sell candy, video games, shoes, so on and so forth. When I graduated from high school, I went on to learning Amazon and selling, a stuff via Amazon FBA, whether it were books, electronics, games, so on and so forth. After that, I connected with a friend of mine that owns a private dealership and he sells tons of cars, typically on the lower end, anywhere from like a thousand to like 5,000. So what he would do is, is he would buy these cars from auctions or just straight from dealerships because he had all these connections. And then he would resell these cars over to me for a couple hundred bucks more in which then I would resell that for even more money. And for a good amount of time, he would even give me the cars, not charge me up front. And he would just tell me how much he would want um, after I sold it. So he was actually helping me out and not having to put the money up front. So that was that was really kind of him. But um, yeah, it was, so I was doing that for a while. And then about like three or four years ago, I figured the next best thing was was real estate. And a friend of mine was getting his real estate license. So I followed suit with that. And I always got my, I always had the intention to want to get into like the real estate investing space. So I got my license with the thought that it would help me network and open up more doors for me. Yeah. And then after that, I just uh, slowly but surely progressed my way to where I'm at now. It's amazing, dude. Yeah. So you started, so it's crazy. He was like letting you sell cars on consignment. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Without, without any risk. That's on Still my friend to this day. He's uh, awesome. That's awesome. Now you're based out, you and Brent, where do you live in Long Island? Yeah. You're in Brentwood? Yep. So what is that, like mid-Suffolk County? Where is that exactly on Long Island? Yeah, so it's like mid-Suffolk or maybe a little bit closer to, I mean, Suffolk's pretty vast, right? Yeah. So I'd say it's maybe like, it's like the middle of Long Island. Yeah, you could say mid-Suffolk, but a little bit closer to Nassau. Um, Got it. Maybe like 20 minutes from Nassau. Okay. So is your, do you, you obviously mainly do Long Island now. Are you mainly concentrated in Suffolk or you'll go into Nassau whenever you have to too because it's pretty dense there? Yeah, so my marketing is focused on Suffolk and Nassau, but Got sometimes it. I'll get stuff like out of those areas, but primarily those are my two areas. Cool. 
two uh, tough areas to do business in, to say the least. I mean, you got New York number one, and then you got Long Island, New York number two, which is like a double whammy. So uh, we're going to be airing this on both of our podcasts. So for people uh, listening to the New York uh, real estate show right now, how did you like, how did you do your first deal in New York? Because at least for me, it was really tough to deal with the attorneys when I got started, like when I was mm -hmm. 20. Uh, so how did you like get your first deal? Like, where did it come from? And how did you find a way to not fumble the ball? Because a lot of new investors, they get these leads and then they, they don't know what to do because there's the attorneys involved and they just, they throw their hands in the air and, and quit. I agree. Um, for my first deal, I kind of just needed that proof of concept. Yeah. So I got the first deal from cold calling. I had a dialer. I was using Zenco. <laughs> I was using Zenco and it took about six months to get my first deal. And I actually sold it to my aunt. So yeah. I might have lucked out on that. I she still got a great deal for it because now that house is worth she bought it from me for like 310. Now it's worth like 600 because oh, it has gone up so much. I sold it to me, bro. I would have paid you 320. <laughs> yeah, but that was that was four years ago, three, four years ago. Yeah. So at the time it wasn't worth 600, it was probably yeah. worth like 400, but the house was in great conditions. And my aunt, she actually still owns that house to this day. Uh, she's just renting it at this point. But I, uh, I think I was just calling an absentee list. And the biggest thing with cold calling from what I've seen or any marketing stream is that you really just need to be consistent because you could be doing a marketing stream for five months straight and not get anything. And on the sixth month you get like three or four deals. Right. So that was something that I always, had in the back of my mind because for the first couple months like i had nothing coming up from it and i'm like oh man is this even gonna work and eventually it just worked out that you know some guy that lived in um i think it was seattle like he was an absentee owner he he actually even told me that he was interested in selling it and that we could talk some more and i kept following up with the guy and then after a few follow-ups he said that he already agreed to sell it to the tenants so he was renting it to people that were long-term airbnb tenants and they wanted to stay there and they wanted to buy it. So he was selling it to him and that it just, you know, he wasn't going to sell it to me no more. And for some reason, I just decided like a couple of weeks later to just call him up again and just act as if we never had that previous conversation. And when I reached out to him again, asking if he was looking to sell it again, he told me that, you know, that he is, he's ready to move forward. And he never even brought up like the previous conversation. I ended up finding out later on that the tenants just weren't able to purchase it because I guess they didn't qualify for the mortgage. So then the guy, he came out, um, I think it was because he used to work here at some point. Then he moved to Seattle, but he came out to like finish some stuff with his job. And we actually met at a coffee shop. So he put a face to a name. And eventually we ended up agreeing to a price. I think it was like 285 or 286, something like that. And then, you know, I showed it to my aunt. She was the first, the first buyer like I knew and I, like that I could trust. And like I knew she wouldn't screw me. And so... Um, my aunt also put down the down payment. I didn't put the down payment down for that house. So I was able to get away with that as well. And then I wholesaled it to her for, I think it was like 305 or 310, somewhere around there. I made it like a little over 20 grand on it. That's um, unbelievable. And yeah. <laughs> Dude, that is exactly how we did my first like five deals in New York. I was a really? cash buyer employee, as I would say. And I was just handing these. I was like, it was like hot potato. I'd get a lead and be like, hey, you want this deal? Pay me 10K. And they would just put the down payment down and get an assignment fee. And uh, dude, this is a crazy story. If I had this lead now, it would have been like a 200K like profit easily. I got this lead in Greenwood Lake, which is like a, I mean, it's like a redneck lake community, uh, Orange County, New York. It's still a pretty good area, but um, this guy had a, a vacant property on the water with a boathouse and a diving board and the whole thing. 
house was a shithole though, like dis disaster. Back okay. on taxes, the whole thing. I take it to my VIP buyer and I'm like, hey, do you want this thing for 115? Because I, I got it for 100. And at mm -hmm. the time, I'd never made more than like 10 grand on a wholesale deal. And he's like, yeah, I'll take it for 115. He buys it off me for 115. I make 15 grand. I'm going crazy. He sells it the next day for like, uh, I think 200 grand or something like that. Wow. And I didn't care. I mean, this is what it is. Like, I don't count other people's money, but like, I'm mm -hmm. just like, oh my God, if I knew what I knew now, and this was like a 2017, I mean, yeah. that property, like the land alone is probably worth 350, like in, easily. And the guy ended up knocking it down and he built this crazy house on there. But I mean, when you're new, the point of that is when you're new, you don't know what you don't know. And, and the key is to get, get money in the door, get, like you said, the proof of concept and you can build from there and use that money to, to generate more leads <laughs> marketing. So let's fast forward to where your business is at today. So just give the listeners like a 30,000 foot overview on, you know, what does your business look like today from like a, a exit strategy perspective and, and what you're kind of making on the average wholesale deal? Because Long Island, you can do some big deals because of the, the prices are obviously expensive. Yeah, for sure. So right now it's primarily just me that's here on Long Island. I have five virtual assistants that do anywhere from administrative stuff to lead management to follow up, stuff like that. And then I just brought on board a girl that she does come out here once a week, but she lives in New Jersey. She lives about like an hour, hour and a half away. And so she's going to be handling the disposition side of, of everything moving forward once like she's done being onboarded. As for like exit strategies, uh, when I started out, it was just primarily wholesaling. As I gained experience and realized that I was missing out on a lot of deals, I started to JV with other investors that I figured maybe this wouldn't be a wholesale deal, but I know that they'd be interested in taking it down and I'd still be able to get a cut of the profits after it's all said and done. And if I was able to like handle the management behind it too, that would be more enticing for them to be able to take the deal with me uh, down. And so as more years went on, I went from wholesaling, JVing to flipping myself. Um, that those are primarily the three listings, uh, the three exit strategies I currently do. I mean, I do some hotels as well, in which it's similar to, to flipping. You just don't do too much work to the house. Um, but yeah, that's that's where I'm at now. I do the acquisitions, the management, the operations. Uh, but I'm barely ever on the phone. I try to not be on the phone at all if I can. But like if for some reason my lead managers are occupied and like there's a lead that comes in, of course, I'll answer it if I'm available. But I'm trying to delegate that out and just focus on building the team, managing, training and um, going on appointments. That's awesome. So basically your team handles all the front end stuff and then you go on the appointment and meet with seller. Right. Try to get the con try to get the offer accepted, and then the attorney gets the contract. Obviously, in New York, it's yeah. Have you ever done one in New York where you signed it up directly with a seller and went just cowboy style? Yeah, so I've uh, done it. I've done it. It works sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I don't want to get into like the legalities of that, but I've I've done a few. In all reality, though, like would they be like fully enforced if it came down to it? I highly doubt it. I'm sure yeah. it wouldn't. Um, but. I haven't done one like that in at least over a year, just because I'd rather have the, the peace of mind knowing that, all right, this is locked up. I know that the, like, because one of the benefits of in New York that even though you have to go through attorneys, once you go in contract, it's really hard to get out of that contract. So having that awesome. peace of mind. Yeah, exactly. Having So having that peace of mind is something that I'd rather have and going and, and, and also some sellers see it as shady because I've even... Yeah. Brought the idea up like at time, like a little over a year ago. Like I would still bring up the idea if they were like comfortable getting it signed in person. Yeah. As soon as you bring that up, they they kind of like some of them actually actually like think it's kind of like shady, and then I feel like that 
has caused like some of my deals to kind of like slip through the cracks as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah, we've done it. I mean, we still do a little bit of it, not because it's like we want to do it, but like the seller is like, maybe they refuse to use an attorney or whatever, or it's a little baby deal. And it's like, you know, we're buying a bungalow for $8,000 in the woods. You know, we're doing that right now where it's like, we're buying a house for eight grand. Like it's a total teardown. And it's like, dude, like it's $8,000. Closing costs are going to be the same as the purchase price for the most part. So, mm-hmm. you know, it is a little sketchy doing it. I, I will agree. Like, if, especially when the seller like insists on it, like, we're like, no, no, I don't want to use an attorney. You're like, all right, just sign this affidavit. Like make sure we're not getting hosed up in court. But that's, yeah. you made a good point about New York. Like, even though it is a pain in the ass and like sometimes for us, man, it takes two weeks to get fully into contract because the attorneys are going back and forth and whatnot, even on the sales side too. When you're in a contract in New York, it is legitimately in assuming the correct parties signed and that deposit check clears, you can sue the seller for a specific performance and they're going to, you're going to win every time. So you really have that peace of mind knowing that deal is not going to go anywhere. Cause I've done business in several different States and, we had a house in Texas one time. It was like a $70,000 wholesale deal. And the whole thing exploded right in my face because mm-hmm. there was no attorney. Some other buyer wanted it. And then like, I ended up putting the lien on the house and I got like a thousand dollar payoff. It was, it was garbage, but in New York, that would have never happened. So yeah. there's a lot of benefits to doing deals in New York for sure. And, and another question for you, like kind of like what you're seeing now, at least in my area and Long Island is probably similar. I'm guessing Yes, there is competition. There's definitely other people doing this in our in our basically our same market because it's all pretty close. Mm-hmm. I don't see as much competition in New York compared to San Diego, where we still do deals here too. Like San Diego, there's literally 45 wholesalers and there's like 10 flippers who do like 10 deals a month each. Like, do you see a lot of competition in Long Island or are you sometimes, you know, competing against two or three people maybe where it's really not that big of a deal at the end of the day compared to like, hey, getting 15 offers, submit your offer and I'll see if I want to take it. Yeah. So I've, I've listened to like a decent amount of like your episodes with Michael and I know you okay. two have the plus that you haven't really seen that there's much competition here on Long Island. And I don't really know, like I would think that in other States, yeah, there's definitely more competition because there's that thought that here in New York, it's just so hard to do deals because of attorneys. Yeah. But me personally, most of the deals I, I go and I get, I, I am going up against a decent amount of people, whether it's two, three or four. I'd say on average, it's like two to three. So maybe it's not that much. Yeah. But I personally have come across, maybe it's my marketing streams. Maybe there's different ways in which I could go up against like last investors. But for me personally, I, I have seen a decent amount of competitors. Seen it. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it increase over the last like year or two, at least in our area. Like it used to be like a blue ocean where it was like me, maybe one person. But what mm. we're trying to do now when we're when we're competing with people is we, we never bash competition ever. We always, hey, they're I'm sure they're a great company. I'm sure they're wonderful. Hey, if you want to work with them, that's fine. No pressure. Uh, but here's a question, Mr. Seller. If they're, you know, offering you a number that might be too good to be true and they ultimately can't close, you know, what are you going to do at that point? And then like, we're trying to like almost plant that seed of doubt. Cause a lot of the times Warner I see is like some brand new investor who really doesn't know what they're doing is offering the seller something that's just outrageous. That makes no okay. sense. And yeah. I know for sure they're not going to close and we will plant that seed of doubt. And then, you know, sometimes it'll work and they'll be like, you know what? Yeah, I get it. I don't want to deal with someone else. So you can't really control that. But at the end of the day, if you just focus on getting leads and making offers, like, you know, if you lose a few deals to other people, 
it is what it is. Uh, another thing I see too, at least in our market is if me and my like friends have the same lead, because in my area, like everyone's pretty much cool with each other. If we all have the same lead, we'll just be like, yo, are you working, you know, Apple street? And they're like, yeah, I am. I'm like, well, do you want to, we can compete on this or do you want to just partner up and we'll play good cop, bad cop. And we yeah. found that to be really successful in all in our area where we'll just be like, all right, you offer, you know, 75, we'll offer 77 and we'll just JV it and we'll split that deal. Yeah. We'll make half, but we'd rather make half and still make some money than like, you know, have the thing get bid up and then no one makes any money, you know? So we found that to work in our area pretty well. Yeah. I, it's funny you mentioned that. I think I've done that with, I, I basically just started doing that with Michael. We did that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we did that with, with a deal on um, in Glen Cove. And you could actually, like, even though you're splitting it, if it's just you two going and speaking to, to the seller, you could actually end up making even more because yes. I could just come in at like an extremely low offer. And then Michael comes in at like 10K more and his yeah. offer just seems so much better. But yeah, we did that on a deal there. And then there was another deal in um, West Babylon that I think he's keeping. That's just him, but I helped him out because he was talking to the seller and the seller was telling him that he spoke to a guy named Warner that said that my house is worth this much. And so Michael reached out to me. He's like, hey, did you tell this guy that, that like his house is worth this much? I'm like, I did not. Like His house is not worth that much. And then I went back to the seller and I told him, hey, like this is my final offer, which was much less than I was in, like anticipating to, to offer him. And so that helped his cause. And then he was able to get it for um, a little bit more than what I offered. But yeah, I mean, I uh, we've talked about that and um, I, I think we're going to start doing that a little bit more. I think it works great. Yeah, it's good, especially when you like know the people you're working with. It's like easier than like a, a complete stranger. I had this crazy story. It was like two months ago now. Uh, so I grew up in Monroe and like literally the neighbor calls, like not on our street or my parents street, but on the like in the subdivision next to us. Okay. I got a lead and I'm like, holy shit, this is on Boyd Street no, or Boyd Road. I'm like, no way. Guy's motivated. He needs to sell in like two weeks. And I'm like, I don't know. But I'm on the phone with Brett, my acquisitions guy. And I'm like, hey, let me just take this one because like this is like the neighbor's house. He ends up getting all these investors to make bids. My, I sent my dad on the appointment. I'm like, yo, dad. Like my parents were like eating dinner and they had, you know, they, I was like, I called him. I'm like, hey, dad, can, can you check this house out for me? It's like a two minute walk. He heads over there, meets with the seller. The guy takes my offer. And I didn't text my buddy about this one. Like I didn't, I wasn't like, I was like, let me just get this thing. And I knew he was talking to other investors. So the guy takes my offer. We have the contract ready to go. And I had the private money lined up the whole thing, like easy deal. Like, let's just close. We'll put it right back on the market. At the last minute, the guy goes dark. Doesn't, because the attorney sent him the contract on DocuSign, but like it was, it was all above board. He doesn't sign the contract. He totally ghosts me. And I'm just like, and I, oh, I paid $2,000 for a deposit for the movers to come move him out because he wanted to sell that fast. So I'm out two grand now. I'm about to send a wire for the deposit. And he ghosts me. And I'm like, listen, dude, if you don't want to sell, just let me know and I'll call up this mover and I'll have them give me a refund. He mm -hmm. totally goes dark. And I'm now pissed. Now I'm like, yo, like what's going on? Just tell me you're not selling me the house and it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. So he ends up, uh, selling to another guy who my friend sent on the appointment and my mm -hmm. friend ended up making five grand. And I called him up like three weeks ago and I'm like, Hey, Devin, I know you're working that Boyd road property. I, I should have just called you. We should have JV this thing. And he goes, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
he's like laughing and i'm like what are you laughing about and he's like yeah i sent uh, i sent my buddy mike over there and he bought the house and he paid me five grand <laughs> and i go oh, you son yeah. of a bitch i said we should have just done this damn deal together so you know it's always best the point of that is it's always best to just call around if you think it's your buddy working it and you can make some money together so anyway i digress so what, what are you doing now to find leads like what marketing have you found to work the best uh at least today in 2022 yeah so at this point i'm doing not all of the above but doing like five or six different marketing channels looking to add more um so for the marketing channels that i'm doing i'm currently doing a lot of inbound whether it's ppc seo or TV marketing yeah. and getting into direct mail as well. And then a little bit of outbound, outbound. I'm doing a cold calling and it's pretty much it. I was doing SMS for a while, but then I stopped it because I heard people were saying there's a lot of like legalities behind it yeah. and regulations are coming, but then people were still getting deals. So like I stopped it, I never got back into it, but I mean, at this point, some people are, some people aren't, but it's something that I'm considering too. Interesting. So you're doing TV because I've I've heard TV in New York is tough because it's like at least this one TV company I was talking to, like you had to do like New York, New Jersey and Connecticut. And like it was like a minimum 30 grand a month ad spend. And I was like, uh, nah, not for me. 30 grand a month is crazy. So that's awesome. You're doing TV. Those leads, I mean, from what I've heard are phenomenal because you have like this like celebrity effect where, you know, you're the guy on TV and then all of a sudden you show up at their house and they're like, oh, my gosh, like he's actually a real person. So really smart that you're doing inbound stuff we're seeing google ads have been phenomenal for us seo obviously is is great because mm -hmm. they're coming to you they're already pretty much motivated they're already telling you about the property before you get on the phone with them so you know the more inbound you can do in mail for sure i mean that's that can get a little crazy with the expenses but we get still get great deals from mail because they're mm -hmm. calling us right like they're picking up the phone and calling they might be pissed we sent them a postcard but the ones who aren't pissed are usually pretty motivated from what I found. Yeah. Yeah. So I will say though, like with the TV, um, I think it depends on the market. Cause for me, that has definitely been my lowest ROI. Really? And, yeah. And sometimes it gets to the point where like, I'm only breaking even or making a little bit above that. Cause you're right. You, the amount of money you got to spend each month for you to even show up on these channels on in New York is, is substantial. Um, but the reason why I kept it going is because as long as it continues to at least pay pay itself off, it's going to be working on my brand and still something that I have on the back end that could still potentially produce some income. Because a lot of the leads that I get from TV too are just people that like randomly see you on TV and they're like, oh, let me give this guy a call, see what he's going to offer me for my house. And then as soon as they make that call and I answer, somebody on my team answers, their first thing is, what's, what do you offer for my house or, or what's my house worth? Yeah. Meanwhile, there's really no motivation. They're really not interested in selling. They're just considering it or maybe had the thought because they saw me on TV, but it's not something that they're truly serious about. But here and there, you will get like some good leads. Yeah, it's so, interesting. Yeah. yeah, but with SEO, PPC, that's been my highest ROI without right. a doubt. And um, direct mail, I actually did that a while back a little bit like via like deal machine. Um, I used to do a lot of like driving for dollars when I first got started. I got some deals from that too. I just stopped doing it because it was like so, uh, so much time management had to go into it, like me driving around and stuff. But I think if I do it um, in, in a way that I'm not driving for dollars and I'm just sending it out to like niche lists, yeah. um, I think it could bring a good ROI. So. For sure. Yeah, no, mail is, I mean, it's like I tell people that everything works, but you know, there's pros and cons to every channel. Like we just closed the deal today from texting. 
And that deal, I think, came in in like April and it just closed now and it's August, right? And like it was a, the seller was motivated. Well, he was, he was motivated in the sense that he had a good asking price, but he wasn't like a distressed guy. He was probably a well-off guy in Rockland County who is not poor, but he just, the okay. property needed work. It had some violations on it and it was in a good area. And he had a, like he was asking 400K for a house worth 600K. So, you know, mm. you have to be the best salesman to get the yeah. guy to do the deal with you. You know, it's like giving them basically everything he wants. Right. And I just knew that was a deal. So that's yeah. another thing I wanted to cover in New York where I see a lot of new investors struggle. And this is where like when they JV with me or they JV with you or they JV with Mike, they get a lot of this experience that, that we have learned the hard way on really knowing what a deal is. Right. So we'll have people send us JV deals and they're brand new and they might've done the work to get the marketing, but they just don't know what a price that will make money is going to be. So they're able to come to me and I'm like, Hey, if you get this property at 400 K or below, we're going to mm -hmm. be wholesalers for $30,000 easily. So yeah. that's a big challenge in New York. Like, how did you, besides the obvious of just making offers and learning the hard way, how did you start to learn as a newbie? And as you've transitioned now into a, you know, experienced investor, how did you try to cut that learning curve down to where you can analyze a property within 10 minutes and, and know right away, like what a good offer is going to be? Because Long Island, there's so much inventory that, that's diverse. It's like some houses are built in the 20s and some are built in the 50s. Mm -hmm. So it's especially you got a lot of Levitt capes and stuff out there. Like there's just a lot yeah. of different houses there, you know? Yeah. So I think what helped me a lot was the brokerage that I joined. Got it. I'm licensed with Keller Williams and have a lot of trainings. So I would still go to a lot of the trainings, even though I never really wanted to like list houses or be a real estate agent. I knew like some of the information that I'd learned from that would still help me for analyzing deals and doing other things in, in the investing space. So I think that's how I was supposed to like I, how I was able to fast track that learning yeah. process. Also, one of my close friends, he's also a realtor, like a big time realtor. So in the beginning, he was kind of like coaching me a little bit here and there on like how to like comp properties. And so I think that helped me a lot. And yeah, that's I kind takes of time, man. It takes time. It takes a lot of experience. And, and you know, if if someone works with you or any experienced investor, you know, maybe they got to split their first couple of deals or they they choose to split their first couple of deals. They're gonna learn so much just on how the transaction works by being able to see it, you know, from the driver's seat. Like, you know, even though they split half the profits, like the knowledge they're gonna get for the deals they do in the future, it's it's really invaluable. It's like, you know, you just learn so much by having an experienced person look over your shoulder. So that's awesome, dude. So sure. Sure. what, uh, what do you, you said you did before we hit record, you said you do do some stuff out of state once in a while when it comes in. So I uh, really have two more questions and then we'll wrap the show up. How do you handle an out of state lead? Like, what do you, what is your standard process for that? Because it, obviously every market is different. We're an out of area lead. Let's just call it out of area lead, Jake. Cause sometimes. It's yeah. Yeah. So I don't have like a set process for how I would handle out-of-state leads because it's not as common. So I haven't really created a process for it. So I follow it pretty, pretty similar to how I do it here, except I just do it virtual. So we speak to the lead, we dequalify, disqualify the lead, see if they're looking to sell. We look for the four pillars. Um, and then if we agree on a price, we just send it over via DocuSign if it's in another state other than um, New York. So if in New Jersey, if we can do that, great. If we can't, sometimes some sellers are very old fashioned and they want to like see you in person. So I have a buddy over there. His name is Lenny. He'll go out there. He'll see the property. He'll take pictures and then he'll get the contract signed right then and there. If yeah. he can, in some cases, they also want to use an attorney. So then we'll go the attorney route. So first we try to DocuSign. Second, we'll try to sign it in person. Third, we'll go the attorney route if we need to. Um, with a few deals that I did in Connecticut, 
I was able to do those via DocuSign as well. And then I did one in Wisconsin, which was like a one-off deal that I also got. A random deal in Wisconsin that I got that signed via DocuSign. And that deal was actually pretty funny because I had a front, I had a guy that I met in Florida after I went to a mastermind like two years ago, and he was from Wisconsin, from Green Bay. And after you know we left that mastermind, he kept we kept in touch, and he would text me and like ask me to like come down there at some point because he wanted to like catch up on things and also show me like his Airbnbs that he has going on down there in Green Bay. I kept putting it off for a while because I just had a lot going on here, and like I love traveling, but. Sometimes when I travel and then I come back, the chaos from like now. Oh, having- it's the worst, dude. I hate the worst. it. Yeah, I hate that. So like I would just put it off for a while. Eventually back in like, I think it was October. I'm like, you know what? What the heck? Let's do it. So I planned it. I planned the trip to go there. And then like two weeks after I planned that trip, I get a lead in Appleton, Wisconsin, which was like 15 minutes away from where he's at. Turned out to be a deal. And then when I flew out there, I took a look at the property as well. And then I wholesaled it too. So it was just funny how things worked out. That's funny. But, yeah. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah. Random lead in Wisconsin. So you went on the appointment as a local investor. I guess. <laughs> I don't think I ever specified, but um, I, I guess if I did, then yeah, that would have helped. So Yeah, that's funny, man. It's, it's, it's interesting. Like I talk to guys in New York and, and they'll do some deals or they'll ask me about, because I do, I've been doing stuff out of state for a while, like uh, in addition to the New York stuff and you know, you know, Naman, Naman, Naman Coker. He's good friends with Mike. He's a, he's a wholesaler in, in your market. Okay. He's a good uh, guy. I don't think so. He's a, he's a good guy. So anyway, he hits me up and he had this lead in Texas. He's like, what do I do with this lead? I'm like, just send him a contract. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah, just send him a contract on DocuSign. He's like, that's it. I'm like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I remember my first Texas deal. We signed a contract on DocuSign. I thought it was fake. I was like, what do you mean? They just signed it and that's it. And I took it to a title company and we closed it. And I was like, damn, like now I know why people do 50 houses a month in some of these markets. Cause they're just, you can get five contracts signed in one day, you know, like it's nothing. New York, yeah. I'm like, you know, running around like a maniac. Hey, attorney, did you get this file? Hey, are the municipal search back? Like it's all this bullshit back and forth. Like there's no such thing as a municipal search in like California. Like it doesn't exist. Like there is like, you just, it's a title, like the title company pulls a title report and that's it. Like there's no muni search. There's no, like none of that shit. Even in Texas, it's the same shit. It's just the only areas I know where all that bullshit goes on is our area, New Jersey. I did a deal in Jersey and it was a fucking mess with oil tanks, but there was municipal. Oh, yeah. that's and then Connecticut, there's that bullshit there too. It's the same shit. I think that's the only, and maybe Massachusetts, the Northeast. It's like another, it's like another planet, you know? So uh, anyway, I digress. Lastly, how are you selling your whole, like, what is your process now for selling wholesale deals to make sure that you're getting the most money and you're not, you know, leaving money on the table? Yeah. So that's something that I've always been working on. Um, Cause I know there's better ways of, of wholesaling and, and just dispositioning properties to get more out of it. But as of right now, usually when I get a property, the first step I take is I try to analyze it and see if this is something I'm going to wholesale or flip. I've developed, uh, I didn't really develop this. I took this from uh, Ryan Pinetta, who's in Vegas. He has a rule of thumb that when, or at least he did, I think now he's transitioning to just more wholesales. But at one point he had a rule of thumb that if he could wholesale a deal for 51% of whatever the potential profit would be from flipping it, then he's going to wholesale it. Otherwise he's going to flip it. So if I could make 80K on a flip, but I could make 41, 42K on a wholesale, I'm going to wholesale it. So I don't always apply that rule, but for the most part I do. 
with certain exceptions. And so at that point, if I did, after I send it out, if we get offers that are higher than that 51%, then we'll go the wholesale route. Got it. But um, when we get a deal, we'll write the pre-forma and um, we'll put that on InvestorLift, which is another great platform that um, a lot of guys use, especially nationwide guys. And I'll blast it out via uh, email on InvestorLift and then I'll text blast it via uh, Salesforce to all my buyers as well. And then it's, it's a pretty straightforward email in which they could uh, reach out to me if they have any questions, but most of the information is on there. They could submit an offer via InvestorLift. There's a like, link that goes to InvestorLift in which they could submit their offer. And there's a link to the pictures as well. There's a link to a video most times. And I also bought a 3D Matterport camera that I just started doing, but I'm going to have my dispositions person be doing that because that takes like a whole another hour or two hours to do for each property. But I found that that helps too, especially for properties that you can't always show because of certain circumstances. So, and I think I heard that from like a podcast that I was listening to that the guy was saying that if he could get at least $5,000 more from a wholesale by just doing that, then he already got all his money back from that. Yeah. Cause that was like what, 3,500 bucks, 4,000 bucks. Um, so yeah. And then, um, you know, I go with highest and best. Um, I always make sure to have like one or two backup offers as well, just in case, cause the first offer doesn't always work out. I try to get them. Like I, I try to like enforce and, and set the expectations and tell them that, you know, this needs to be signed within the first, you know, a couple of days. Otherwise I'm just going to sell it to somebody else while I'm, Agreeing to your price, I'm also going to continue to market this property because, as I'm sure you know, you Michael Pinter special right there. Yeah, that's what the, I learned that from Michael actually. So, because <laughs> it's true, like buyers will ghost you, and they yes. like they have no remorse. So, like yeah. at that point, it's like what you you leave me screwed if I just stick with you, and then you just like ghost me, and and then I got to get another buyer. So, um, yeah, that's how I basically do it. Um, I have Great a process. process for it, and um, yeah. That is, I'll say the words verbatim, as Michael says, I accept your offer. However, until all fully contract, until contracts are fully signed, I'm going to continue to market and show the property. And when you, so that, that in the wholesale game, the buyers usually don't give a fuck because it's like direct. But when we do flips and we do that, they go, the agents go crazy. Oh, how, how dare you do it? It's like, here's the deal. If your client doesn't sign this damn contract because they're slow or they're a tire kicker, and I took five, I took this thing off the market for five days and your client goes high and dry. You're not going to call me apologizing. You're going to say, oh, sorry, it didn't work out. So I'm going to do the same here. I'm going to protect myself. And a mm -hmm. lot of the crusty old real estate agents still give me trouble for that. But I really don't care because at the end of the day, if their client bails, like they're like, oh, sorry, good luck. You're like, oh, thanks, man. Like, thanks so much. You know? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't even meant like to agents. I don't really mention that so much because it's already a given that I know that even if they agree to the price, like they made an offer and I agreed, they're probably not going to sign after the inspection. So I'm still going to have other people see it on this contract to sign. If they ask, I'll let them know. But it's not something that I'll normally bring up. Yeah, that shit is not pending until we have that deposit check clearing when we're doing fix and flips. Because like, you know, the thing in New York, too, that people, you know, might not realize if they're watching Pave the Way. In New York, if you uh, there's no inspection contingency, so you you get an offer accepted. The next day or two days later, they send a home inspector there. The home inspector does an inspection. Then a day later, they send you the report, or two days later, and then all the inspection bullshit goes into a rider, and then you have to fix that while you're in contract. So I like that better because if they actually sign that contract, it's pretty much a guarantee unless their mortgage contingency fails. 
but you don't have to like I'm doing a deal right now in Delaware, a fix and flip. And they had we signed a contract and then there was a inspection period. And now I got to fix the deck, which is not a big deal. But, you know, it's basically a get out of jail free card. It's the same thing in California. So it's better in New York when they actually do it that way. But anyway, I digress. Well, Warner, this has been a lot of fun, buddy. I appreciate you being on the show. If people want to connect with you, how can they reach out and, um, you know, get in touch with you? Yeah, so I'm all I'm on all social media platforms: uh, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, Facebook. Uh, it's my first and last name, Warner Kiroga. It's spelled W-A-R-N-E-R-Q-U-I-R-O-G-A. Um, and yeah, you could DM me, message me, reach out to me. Cool. Awesome, buddy. Thanks for being on the show. I'm sure the listeners got a lot of value. Cool, man. Thanks for having me.